Hi, you're listening to the sermon podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Why don't we spend some time praying? I did write a few uh, prayer requests, broadly speaking, but if there's anything else that you can be praying in your heart or praying with me, that would encourage you. And so we'll start our time today praying and You already prayed for Brandon, but we'll pray for them again. Why don't we pray together? Father God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We come, Lord, to ask you that you would please bless this team that is in Greece right now. Father, you please bless Pastor Brandon. You would give him wisdom and understanding. You would fill him with your spirit as he leads this team. Father, we pray that as they meet folks from Syria or other places, Father God, you would please help them to tell the gospel clearly to those that speak English and to those that don't speak. Father, we pray for translators. We pray for uh, opportunities to show the love of Christ in tangible ways as well, Father. We ask you, Father, you please protect them from sickness that is so common in trips. We ask you, please protect them from conflict and, and uh, internal issues. We, Father, we ask you that you would please Keep them united through your spirit. We ask you, Father, that you would use this team as they come back to continue evangelizing and sharing your, your good news here in Fredericksburg and around Virginia, Father God. We ask you this in Jesus' name. We also want to ask you for this church, Lord, Impact Church in this area. Father, we want to ask you that you would please help us to understand the gospel as we're going to study it, as, as we're going to study it again today. Father, we pray that you please help us as we go in, uh, or as you would help this church, as they go to the gas station, to the store, and with friends or with neighbors. Father, to be able to share your good news, share your gospel clearly and, and effectively to the neighbors and to the community here in this city. Father, Fredericksburg needs Christ, and that's what this church is starting, and you're planting this church since September, I believe. So, Father, so we pray that you would help, please help them. Uh, to remember, Lord, the reason of their being, the reason of their meeting today, to celebrate that you were you resurrected from the dead, and today we, we remember that uh, gladly. Father, we also pray for the children in this church. We pray especially for Caroline and Alexa as they lead the ministry with clear gospel evangelism to all the children present in this ministry. We also pray for the volunteers, Father, we pray that the children of this church will grow up understanding, hearing, not only the church, but in their homes, the clear presentation of your gospel. Father, we pray that you would save them. We pray for our children, Lord, that you please encourage them to obey their parents and to hear very diligently today their teachers and their classes. Father, we pray for all the ministries of this church as they go about, that you please help them to remember and to put first Christ Jesus. We also want to pray and obey you as you tell us to pray for our authorities and our leaders as well in our community. We Father, we pray for the major of Fredericksburg, Mary Catherine Greenlaw. Father, we pray that you please help her, that you give her wisdom 
beyond her years or beyond her understanding, Father, that she will be able to lead this, this town well, that she will be able to uh, use her human wisdom for the blessing of many. Father, we pray for righteousness in the decisions and the proposals that she brings before this town. Father, we also pray for fear of you in her life. She would fear you. And she would understand, Lord, that the position she has is because it comes from your holy hand. Father, we also want to pray for the um, long-term facility worker shortages in this community, Father. We want to pray that you provide workers, people to work in those positions. We pray for the CNAs and RNs and all the medical personnel in these long-term facilities around this town. Father, we pray that you will please help them. We pray, Lord, that you will please bring our ends that are Christians, that they will be able to share the gospel with older folks or the people in these long-term facilities. We also pray, Father, for those that are Christians, that they will be able to share the gospel with CNAs and RNs that are not believers, Father God. And we pray for anyone here in this con congregation that has family, friends, or that works in those long-term facilities to be able to use those opportunities to be able to be sharing the gospel there as well. Father, we want to pray also for the public schools in this town and the towns around. Father, you know the, um, the students that may be represented from this congregation. Father God, we pray that you please give wisdom to the parents as they send their children or they make arrangements for the children to participate in the school. And if not even, we just pray broadly for the public schools, Father. You know the challenges that they've had. You know the, the issues that our public schools are going through. Father God, we pray that you please bring uh, protection and wisdom and clarity, Father God, to uh, the leadership of this public school. Father, we pray that you would uh, give us or give uh, the parents an evangelistic heart to the community. Uh, especially through this opportunity of meeting parents and children through the public schools. Father, we pray that you protect our testimony as we engage and live in this community, Lord, or as they, uh, this church, Father. We pray also for the transformation and salvation of those that are far from you. You might be even pushing uh, 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 an idea or an agenda that is very anti-Christian, Father, we, but we pray mainly that you would save them. And that you will use us to be able to share the gospel with them, Father. Finally, Lord, we want to pray for all the gospel-preaching churches in this community, maybe even close to where we're meeting, Lord, this morning. We want to ask you, Father, for their preaching, for their pastors, for their congregations, Father God, as well as we pray for ourselves that we would receive your word well, that you would give us this opportunity to be able to be edified that you would help us, Lord, to repent, and that you would please, please help us to, be, to grow up in understanding of your word and of you, Lord, that we may be uh, confirmed and be made more mature through this morning, Father. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles in Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be on today. Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to be uh, from chapter 3, verse 3 to verse 8. But today, so that we can be in context and understanding where we are, I'm just going to take the liberty, if you don't mind, to read from the verses before and from the verses ahead, so you can see exactly where we are and what we're trying to achieve this morning, okay? 
if you don't mind, to stand up for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to be in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read a little bit ahead until verse 11. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appear, He saved us, not because of our works, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who steers up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. You may take your seats. Thank you. So church, today we're going to be studying this text. The title for today's message is Jesus Christ the Savior. Jesus Christ the Savior. I'm going to have three main points, very easy for you to remember or to, for you to follow. Hopefully it's not going to be hard. Number one is going to be show and remember mercy. Number two is going to be, and I'll repeat this, uh, receive mercy. And number three, give mercy. And I'll build on that quite a bit in just a, in a little bit, in a few minutes. So, Number one, remember and show mercy. So the first lesson that we want to draw, that we want to understand from this text is this, remember and show mercy. So Christian here, do you see and remember the necessity of salvation to the lost world? It is not a light thing what Paul is describing in this section of Titus. I came while driving, I was listening to Titus, maybe this week you read Titus, maybe in this past year you read the book, the book of Titus. The book of Titus is part of what is called the pastoral letters, right? So there's three, first and second, Timothy, and this book, right? So this book, these books are very helpful and important for the church. They give us sort of the framework of how the church is supposed to be built. And this book of Titus is very helpful. Now, we have First and Second Timothy. You may ask yourself, well, what, why another one? And if you read carefully 
and the verses before, even before what we read, there is this difficulty that this church finds herself in. This church finds herself, for example, um, in verse 12 of chapter 1, if you have your Bible open, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are liars, always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Verse, three, verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Well, what's happening here is that the culture, it is very, very different than the church. And is remarkably different in this island. It's very different. As you read, the culture was not attuned with the church. So what is the issue that Paul might be addressing? Paul sees the necessity to remind the church or remind us to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Did he say all people? Yes, he did say all people. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, how important it was for the church in Crete to remember this. Paul describes the culture where this church was in verse 12, what I just read, and this was a word from their own people. This group of Christians found themselves in a culture that was unfriendly and in tension with the church. So you can ask yourself, oh, is salvation important? Is salvation urgent? Paul would, be, Paul would give a very clear yes. So I'm going to show you five reasons, or at least in this, we're going to see five reasons, actually six, why is this so important? Why salvation is so crucial in this world? So we're going to see verse 3 in detail. Let's see it again. For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave of various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and being hated by one another. So the first thing we're going to see here is foolishness. The sin is a deadly decision to act and live as if God is not present. Psalm 14, you know probably by memory, that says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So that is the basic idea of foolishness. What? To live a whole life pretending that God is not there, that God is not looking, that God will not take action on those things one day in this life or in the life to come. It is the thief stealing and saying, nobody sees, but God sees. It is the adulterer committing adultery and, and thinking, oh, nobody will know, but God knows. Every single one of those things, God is knowledgeable because God knows all things. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So in this part, I'm going to show you three pairs. I don't know, just right now so you can see it. First pair, foolish and disobedient. Number one. Second pair, led astray and slave of various passions. And third pair, passing our days in malice, hated by others and hating one another. That's how we're going to divide it into two, two pairs, and, and those three pairs. So this first pair, what it has to say, it is the, the very outward decision to commit sin. In what way? In foolishness, acting as if God is not present. And living in, in a life that is of sin. So you remember before you knew Christ, the many foolish decisions you took. You don't have to say them. You can remember it was foolishness, right? Yes, we were once foolish. 
pretending that God is not there. Number two, disobedience. Number two, that we're at, for we ourselves were once foolish. Number two, disobedient. Second, disobedience against God. So sin is an affront, not mainly against another person. You may get into an anger fight with your wife, and you may sin against her by your words, but you do not mainly sin against her, but you sin against, mainly against God. Why? Because God made her in his own image. In the image of God, he made her, right? And so the, our sin is mainly against God. So when David is being tempted to commit fornication with Potiphar's wife, he refused and said, My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are my wife. Oh, excuse me, because you're his wife. And then he says, Who could I do? Who, who could I do? Excuse me, he says, Why should I do such wicked thing and sin against God? Genesis 39, verse 9. So he understood. Well, later on, David's life himself, later on, we are reminded when David sinned with Bathsheba, which was the wife of Uriah. And in Psalm 53, when he's repenting, praying to God to forgive him, what he says, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justifying your words and blameless in your judgments. We ourselves in the past were disobedient. So, these two things are very outward, foolish, done things that the world and all of us did before knowing Christ. Which one, too? One was foolish, meaning living and acting as if God is not there. And number two was disobedient, maybe knowing, oh, God doesn't want me to do this. Maybe understanding, oh, my conscience is accusing me. This is wrong for me to do, but do it in any ways. Guilty, both times. Okay, so that's the first pair. The second pair. Led astray, slaves to various passions. What is the difference? Can you see the difference even in the wording? What is this person being? What? He's being led astray. Led as you, you under, do you see the difference? One is disobedient. I'm not going to obey. The other guy is being led astray. And the third part of that is slave. That person is being enslaved to various passions and pleasures. So the third, the world is led astray. The idea is that the world is deceived. Paul has the same idea when speaking of, the, uh, of, the, of this evil in 2 uh, Timothy. He says, well, evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being Deceived. This is the man who sits on the council of the wicked. But he sits on it. You understand? Now, he's, it's the council of the wicked. He's, the people are being led astray. They're following. But they're being led astray. You understand? So the first pair is a very forefront act of sin that the world does, that you've done in the past, that we've all done before Christ. The second, it's less, but it's still being led by the world. So, um, many years ago, a dear sister came to faith. We've shared the gospel uh, in Kentucky when we were pastoring. 
And just, she, she was baptized and everything, and then one day we were sitting, my wife and I and our kids in her home, and then just talking and talking, she started crying. Just crying and crying and crying. And I was like, uh, sister, what's, what's going on? And she was really, really broken. And her issue was, she would say, I did not know, Pastor John, I did not know. And, and what was she referring to? She was referring to that for so many years, I think she was about 45, 50 years old when she came to, when she came to Christ. She had led, she said, I led all my children through this religion, this other religion. I led them all. And I was so diligent to teach them. And now I understand it's false. I led them. She was heartbroken because two of her older children they were now out of home. And she, she still had two daughters at home. And I said, hey, sister, well, we, we, then we talk, we prayed. I encouraged her that though some of her children were not at home anymore, she still had the opportunity to lead her children in the light of God's word. I encouraged her to invite her children for a meeting and ask them their forgiveness and request from them an opportunity to share Christ again. She led them astray. Maybe she was also led astray herself. But she understood by the working of the Holy Spirit in her life that what she did was wrong. She led astray her own children, teaching them things that were not true. They were unbiblical. So therefore, if she was led astray, she didn't have to repent. No, absolutely not. She repented. She actually did call her children on a meeting one day, and she told them, children, I've led you astray all of these years. Please forgive me. But now I want to start again. Would you give me another chance? What an opportunity. The fourth point of view, or the second pair, is force slaves to various passions and pleasures. The sinners are slaved to sin. Romans tells us this, right? In verse 20 of chapter 6, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. Romans 6, 20 and 21. Those who are without Christ are slaved to their passion as they rise or to their pleasure as they pull them. The world as you see it, every person on the road, on the mall, at the schools, are slaves of sin and on their way to death. So some are being led by the world, as you see. So you see the world has, an, has, has a plan, an agenda of any sort. The world has always had a plan and agenda, not just in 20, what are we, 2022. No. It always has. It's always been against the church, in enmity with the church. Always, from the beginning, right? You either are in, are in Christ or are outside Christ. Outside Christ. But the, the difference, probably, that you see right now is that Maybe the divide is getting a little bigger, you know? Some are just being led by the world. They don't know what to do. They're just going to follow whatever the world says. Whatever they say, I'll follow. Some are being led by their own inside passions. It's not like an outside voice that is letting them. Television, uh, other things outside of them. But it's all right that their hearts, they have passions that arise. 
ungodly passions, and they respond to them and say, yes, I'll, whatever you tell me, I'll say yes, and they follow them. Or they have desires that arise inside of them, and they say, okay, I feel this, I desire this, I'm going to respond to it with a yes, and they follow. That's sin, dear brothers and sisters. Paul says, for we ourselves were once like this. Let's see the third pair quickly. Passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. So this is the description of a life of moral envy. This last pair is how reflected sin is demonstrated in the moral corruption of the internal person. So this is not only what's happening outside anymore. This is not like disobedient. I'm going to disobey what God says. I'm going to do this. This is not just I'm going to be a foolish person. I'm going to pretend God is not here. No, this one is malice and envy. This is the outworking of sin in our hearts. When someone is doing better than you, or whenever you, or when it, whenever that person has envy against another person, or has malice against, I'm going to do this against you, or thoughts of malice against the other person. So it's it's the terrible, toxic poison of sin in our lives. And the other pair it says, or the second part of this, hated by others and hating one another. This is, again, sin working in our lives. What happens is that there's contentions of many sorts and is reflected in conflict. One of the most common things in life, right? That's why it is. It's conflict. Wars, divisions at home, conflicts between husband and wives, brothers and sisters, family members, people in the community, people in government, countries completely divided, Churches splitting, etc., etc., etc. It's conflict. It's reflected. Sin reflects itself in envy and malice in our hearts as people envy and they have an evil heart against one another. And then in divisions and conflict, fighting each other, hating one another, and doing this kind of thing. He's saying the world is like that. Surprise. Well, we should not be surprised. That's the world. The world hated, hates each other. The world has malice. And you know what he says as well? Paul says again to remind us, for we ourselves were once like that. Okay, so, dear brothers and sisters, so let your heart rejoice and be glad that you are now in Christ. And not dead in your trespasses and sin that you once walked. Why do Paul shows us this heavy list? Reading this kind of thing is not super exciting. It's like, oh, this is ugly. Why? Uh, to show the reason why Jesus, the Savior of the world, died on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? The answer is for our sins. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty, the payment, the punishment that our sins require, namely the wrath of God. Friend, if you're not a Christian today and you're here, you're, maybe you're visiting or maybe in your heart you understand you're not a Christian, I know we're all glad you're here. And as you see, God, through His Word, thinks very heavily and deeply about sin. Maybe you as well have been thinking about sin in your own life. 
Maybe your life is a life of sin. I want to tell you that this is the first part of the message of the gospel. The weight of sin and the mark, uh, and, and it's, it's heavy because of, because of the gospel of salvation. Can someone be saved, though he might think of himself not a sinner? Can someone be rescued, though he might believe he's not lost? No, right? No. And that's why Paul helpfully puts it here in this text. Why? Because we're going to hear something beautiful in the next few verses. But he wants to remind us, this is sin, dear brothers and sisters. It is ugly. It destroys. It kills. And this is the problem with the people in Crete. The people where this church was living. This is their problem. This is their life. That's how they live. They're enslaved to sin. Now, let's apply this quickly to our lives. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the life of every lost individual in Fredericksburg and around us and around the world, the whole globe. What is their problem? They're slave to sin. They're slave of Satan. They go around with their passions and desires being pulled around. They're disobedient and they foolishly think that God doesn't cease what they do. That's a huge problem they have. But that's their problem, you understand? And there's a great solution that they need. And that we have, actually, ourselves. All right. So, the second lesson, quickly. Number, number two. Receive and remember the mercy of God. Receive and remember the mercy of God. So the second lesson that we can learn is this one. God made us in His image, but man rebelled against God and rejected Him. The wages of sin is death. The payment of the list that we just read before is, is a place of real, it's a real place of real conscious torment called hell. Hell is a real place. It's not just something that all people back in the day, for 100 years ago, used to think. This is what the Bible tells us. But friend, God is so good, so merciful, so gracious not to leave us rightly condemned, but He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. So I'm going to try to show you five things in this text from verse 4 and on. The reason, the process, the effect, the guarantee, and the future. The reason, the process, the effect, the guarantee, and the future. Let's talk about the reason the reason why God saves or why God sent Jesus Christ to this world. What is the reason? Verse number four, if you see with your own eyes there. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. The reason, you can put it clearly, love. In love, God saved us. You can see in verse 4, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appear. What does he mean? Like, it is, it is in the nature of God to love himself and to love his creatures as he made us. And like Ephesians chapter 2 says, Out of the abundance of his love, he called us. Let me just read it so I can quote it appropriately. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Verse 5. 
in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us and the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. What is the reason that God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world? The reason is love. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. So there's two things of this love, as you can see, God, in these verses that I just read. Number one is that God loves Himself more than anything, right? If Victor, if Victor would tell people or tell his wife, my dear, are you married, Victor? Okay, thank you. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one. If Victor would tell everyone, worship me. I am amazing. And if you do this, you'll be satisfied. You'll be happy. Your life will be better. Everyone will be like, oh, Victor, you know, <laughs> there's a place for you. We need to take you there. We need to help you go there. <laughs> right? All of us. Any human, if they would say such a thing, it would not make, make no sense. Why? Because we cannot deliver what those words are promising. But God is differently. God says, come and worship me. Come and drink from this fountain. Come and be satisfied completely and wholly in me. So love, so whenever uh, some people might say, God loves himself more than anything, you know, if a man would say that or a woman would say that, that's madness. But God says that of himself, and that's beautiful. Because he's saying and saying, I am the most awesome thing in this whole universe. And that's okay for him because he is. And he's calling the whole universe and all of his creation, us, to come and behold him and be transformed by looking at him, by obeying him, by loving him, by cherishing him. So the reason why Christ came to this world is, number one, because of God loves himself so much that he wants to display his love to the world. And how does he display his love? Verse 4 of Titus, where we are, it says, When the goodness and love and kindness, the chesed of God, that love, covenantal love that he made with a people. Just think about it. If you were... Five years ago, seven years ago, 12 years ago, just like the world 15 years ago. What was in you that God would look upon to turn his heart in love? We just saw that, those, that in the world, people are foolish, people are disobedient. They're being led one, one way and another, not even outside, but in their hearts, their passions and desires are rising. I mean, the whole thing's a terrible mess. Well, we'll see how that is, but the point here is that God loves himself so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to this world to display his love and to call a people for himself and to love that people. And what is this people? The church, dear brothers and sisters, you, this church, Impact Church here in Fredericksburg, and other churches that God has gathered together and has said, I'm going to bring my word, I'm going to feed you, and you're going to gather together on a regular basis to hear my word, to grow together, and, and to go to the world and tell the world there is salvation in Christ. 
You can turn to Him and He will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. You can be saved from the penalty of your sins. And love God, He saved us. So the reason is love. Number two, the process. Number two, the process. Mercy. Mercy. Let's see verse 5. Our kindness. He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So what is the process that God does? The process is mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Someone saying, mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. You do deserve something, but you're not going to get it. I'm going to show you mercy. Justice is giving someone what he deserves. Justice and mercy. So that's why we, we say sometimes, or people say sometimes, that Christ is where justice and mercy meet. Why? Because in Christ, God shows mercy to a sinful people, but He brings justice of, our, of the payment of our sins upon Christ Himself. So it was mercy. The process is mercy. Let's see that again in verse 5. So He saved us. What is the process of mercy? Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now, this is a broadly understanding that part of the gospel is clearly understanding that it is not the works of us done by or in righteousness that we are saved. Right? Usually, EE or evangelism explosion back in the day, many years ago that I took, the typical question was, whenever you go before God and He asks you, why would I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Anybody... Uh, Heard this question before, right? And they and and what would you say? Uh, I was a good person. I did a lot of things. I etc. 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 I went to church. He, hear this verse and as well as many many other verses. He say he's saying he saved us not because of works done by done by us in righteousness. So he's saying that none of our works done by us in righteousness could be able to save us, dear brothers and sisters. None. And so maybe, I mean, anyhow, so this is super important. So the, the process of God is mercy, and then, and then he, he flips it. But according to his own mercy. So you're saved by the mercy of God. By God not showing his justice on you, but rather showing his mercy on you. That's the gospel. Whenever God sees you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Christ Jesus. Because you place your faith and trust in Christ. What, what does it mean? It's, it means that you stop trusting that you one day, you'll be good enough for God to love you. But rather you trust that the works of Christ and the obedience of Jesus is imparted or is imputed on you, on your behalf. You trust and say, God, I want to trust that whatever Jesus you did on the cross was for me, and I want to repent of my sins and trust in you and faith. So the reason is love, the process is mercy. Number three, the effect, the effect. Number three, in verse five, he says, He saved us not because of our works done by righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Number three of this, of this block. 
The effect, what is the effect? I'm a better person now. I stop cussing and doing things. No, the effect is to be born again. It's a radical internal change that happens in the soul of people that they are actually born again from the Spirit of God. You remember what happened before? There were malice and there was passions and desires coming around. But now God says in verse, uh, verse 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The effect of believing in Christ, in the gospel, is to be born again from the Holy Spirit. It's not just being a good person. It's not acting like a good person. It's actually asking the Lord, Lord, help me to be born again from the Holy Spirit. Make that in my life. Help me, Lord God. That's what John says in chapter 3, very clearly. Number four. What is the guarantee? Number four. The guarantee is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Verse 5 and 6 again. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the cross, Jesus Christ bore all our sins. On the cross, Mercy was shown to us, and God imparts that to us by faith in Christ. He makes us to be born again, but is that all? Tells us here that there is something amazing. He, he gives a guarantee. If you, don't, if you don't believe me, I'll give you this guarantee. Which is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit. So we are now born again, but now God dwells in us, in His Holy Spirit. That's the guarantee that He's given us, the Holy Spirit. He's richly bestowed that on us. Verse 6, whom He poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. So dear brothers and sisters, we're not left, right? You're not left anymore with your own personal strength. I'm going to obey, I'm going to obey, and you disobey. I'm going to obey, I'm going to obey, and you disobey. I'm going to change, I'm going to change, you don't change. Why? Because we continue to hope and trust on our own personal strength. And no, we don't ask God, help me through your Holy Spirit to overcome this temptation, this struggle, this sin in my life, because we want to continue trying to do it as we did it in the world. And number five, the future. The future. Heirs and children of God. And I'll read it, verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Dear brothers and sisters, we become heirs and children of God. We are given eternal life in Christ Jesus. Again, verse 7, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the reason of Christ coming to this world was love, love for himself and to display the love of God. Number two, what was the process of this love being showed? It was, it was shown in the mercy of God on the cross when Jesus was crucified on our behalf. What was the effect on an individual as they looked upon the cross and believed that Christ Jesus is Savior, is the Savior of the world? That person is being born again. God brings about new life in that individual. 
Is there any guarantee? Is there any special work that God will, will leave on that individual? Absolutely. The guarantee is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, in His church, especially, especially a special work in the gathering of the church. And number five, what is the future of the Christian? The future of the Christian is that we will be heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ. We are children of God, and we will live forever. We have eternal life given to us by faith in Christ Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the idea of the gospel. The gospel tells us from the beginning that you are a sinner, that you have a problem, that you are condemned because of your sins, and you need some help right now, urgently. Have you seen your outward external actions of disobedient foolishness? Have you seen how you're being led away by the world or by your own passions and desires? Have you seen the conflict that there is in you of malice and envy, of hated one, hating one another? That is the problem of the world, dear brothers and sisters. So when you looked at the world, when you looked at your neighbor, when you look at your classmates, and they look like, oh my goodness, what's going on in that person's life? This is what's going on in that person's life. Verse 3. And what they mainly will need is this gospel. Let's see, number three. The, the point number three. Number one that we say, that we say, um, remember and show mercy. Number two, receive mercy. And number three, give and speak mercy. Give and speak mercy. Let's see verse 8, and we'll be finished with this. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Matthew Henry wrote about this, and he says, When the grace of God towards mankind has been declared, the necessity of good works is pressed. Those who believe in God must make it their care to maintain good works, to seek opportunities for doing them, being influenced by love and gratitude. Trifling, foolish questions must be avoided, and subtle distinctions and vain inquiries. Nor should people be eager after novelties, but love sound doctrine, which tends most to edifying. Though we may not think some sins light and little, if the Lord awaken the conscience, we shall feel even the smallest sin heavy upon our souls. So the saying, if you see this, the saying is trustworthy in verse 8. So, the past gospel, Jesus, the cross, explained as it seems and this, it was a, as it seems, it was a confession of the early church. Confessions, catechisms, uh, other ways of learning the Bible are very helpful. They never replace the Bible, but they help us to remember biblical truths in a conscience, in a, in a concise and short way for ourselves and for our children. So these verses that we read in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 was it seems to be a confession that the early church used to repeat. So, what is the main point? Because of the gospel, because of this gospel truth, 
Do not leave it. Do not go far from it. Insist on it. Persist on it. Affirm it constantly to all around you. So the idea is to affirm strongly, to assert confidently. What are we to assert confidently? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? You who have believed in God, can you assert it and explain the gospel clearly to those around you? Whenever I join um, this church, this, what I'm part of right now in D.C., they ask me, tell us the gospel in an interview. They ask me, tell us the gospel in 60 seconds. I was like, what? Tell me the gospel in 60 seconds. I was sort of not prepared, and I went on for 59, 60 seconds. And then Pastor Mark, is, he's the pastor of, that, of this church, Pastor Mark Dever, he asked me, uh, and is this church called uh, Memorial Baptist Church? What happened with the resurrection, John? And I said, oh, the resurrection. I told you everything about the life and the death and, and the crucifixion of Jesus. I forgot the resurrection. So I went on and I explained, you know, what happened to Christ and this, his resurrection, etc., etc., etc. But the idea is, I thought it was wonderful. The idea was that all the church, every single new member, every single new person that joined the church, it is supposed to come to an understanding of what is the gospel. So, every single member, every single person, be able to tell others about the gospel. So, um, I looked. John Piper has something really important for here, for here to say about this, doing good works. Let me just read it quickly. Suffering in this world is terrible and limited. But suffering in the next world is terrible and eternal. And love sees it that way. Love does not shut its eyes on the world or that world. Love reckons with the reality of suffering here and the worst reality of suffering there. As, the, uh, as Brother Mark was sharing, I lived in Jordan, and you, you've heard of Jordan, you've heard of Syria, you've heard of Iraq. We have hundreds, actually millions of refugees in Jordan. And sometimes we have missionaries come and do work over there, like me, go, go from, uh, from the United States to other parts of the world to do some gospel work. But sadly what happens is that we focus so much on that present need that present agenda, that present work that we have, that we forget, dear brothers and sisters, we forget to share the gospel. No, we, we, we strive not to. But some people, many people actually, forget to share the gospel. And in this world where we live, that's the problem. We see the world, and it's moving far, fast. It looks angry. It looks threatening. And we have to remember, the first priority we have right now is to share the gospel. That's my priority. My priority is to talk to my work, my coworker, my neighbor. That's my priority. I know she has other problems, big problems, <laughs> as, you, as you know her, or as you know him. Big problems. You see his life. But the main problem that he has, or she has, is that she doesn't know Christ. And I have the opportunity to share the gospel with him or with her. Piper continues, and what I see all around us today in the Christian church is the tendency to care only about the one or the other. There are these two camps. I am an activist for the cause of justice and life and wholeness and shalom and flourishing. I am not going, and number two, I'm not going to be distracted by all of that. I'm going to be rescuing people from hell. Here is what I want, he says. I want all of this church 
to say we will not make that choice. We will say that this we will say that we care all suffering now, especially eternal suffering. That's the sentence I want to leave ringing in your ears. I want you to feel whether you can embrace both of these. I guess it's that there are people in this room very resistant to the first half and others who are resistant to the second half. I don't want us to be among the sophisticated Christians who cannot tell or take hell on their lips that alone fire or out of darkness or gnashing of teeth or torment. Oh no, we are too sophisticated for that. I don't give a rip about sophistication, he says. I want truth. I want to know God. Are these people that I hobnob with day after day on their way to destruction? And if so, then I know what love requires. And there are others so jealous to guard that truth that they're afraid to death to fight any evil in this world. It's going to look like liberalism, some people might say that it look like whatever it is, it is just what Jesus says. Let it be like Jesus. In every social issue, from abortion to alcoholism, from age to unemployment, from hunger to homelessness, let's give the help that we like to receive if it were us. And at every moment, in that love, let us feel an even greater urgency to pray and speak and work to rescue people from everlasting suffering through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how we're going to end today in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist, 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 persist, fight for it on these things. So are those who have believed in God, behold us, we've believed in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And which ones are the best works? The works of telling Christ, of sharing the gospel. That's the best love that a person can do. And other ones, too. These things are excellent and certainly profitable for people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning, and we want to ask you, Lord, to search our hearts. Father God, we want to ask you that you would please help us to see, are we living like the world, or are we living separated like the church, holy? Father God, we want to ask you that you would please bring in our hearts, Lord, have there being disobedience or foolishness. Have we been following the world more than following your spirit? What has happened to us, Lord? Would you please help this congregation or anyone even today that has been walking in sin, bringing shame upon your name and thinking, well, God doesn't see me or he'll forget, he'll forgive me and falling into a horrible sin. Father, forgive us, we pray. Forgive this brother, this sister. Father, we pray that this church would be marked by holiness. A church that seeks to repent of their sins and turn to you in faith 
or let it not this be a church that is marked by worldliness, by all the marks of that, as we read in verse 3. Father God, we also want to pray, Lord, that we would grow in desire and ambition to know your gospel. We'll read more books about your gospel. We will read the gospels. We would treasure your gospel. We will share the gospel with people. We would grow to understand the gospel and be able to tell people quickly about it. At the same time, Lord, we recognize that there have been friends or family members or neighbors or co-workers that we've known and we've said and we've talked for minutes, maybe hours or days that they might not even know we're Christians or they might have not even heard the good news of the gospel. They probably heard our position on this issue or on that issue, but not on the gospel. Oh, Father, we pray you please forgive us. Make us people that are going everywhere and telling everyone of your love and mercy towards us that you bestow upon anyone who believes in you, who repents of their sins. You wash them from that sin, from those sins. You bring them to you. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, even you please help us to um, obey, to do it, yes, from uh, the abundance of our hearts, but to obey, not to disobey you, in faith and know that we'll feel fear, we'll feel trepidation when talking to the boss or to a friend. We'll be mocked or ridiculed. People might look at us funny. Oh, Father, we remember, Lord Jesus, how you lived in this world. You were crucified in truth for the truth. And we're scared of an ugly look. Father, forgive us. Yes, give us boldness, but just give us certain hearts of obedience that we will do it. Even we might not feel like it. We pray you please help us. We pray for this church and the testimony that it is to the neighbors and to the community, Lord. We pray, Father, that you will bless it and you will take us um, in the way that you desire for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.